Let's go ahead and get into the Word of God. Uh, we're in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 15. See how far we can get to get today. All right, let's all stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 15. He, being Jesus, disarmed the rulers uh, and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worshiping or worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elementary spirit, spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence, indulgence of the flesh. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, I gave you this sheet. It's got a bunch of notes on it. Uh, we won't be able to cover all of it, but I'll touch on it as I go through. And that'll be a really good sheet for you to take home with you if you want to do further study on this topic. So this week, we're talking, uh, we're, we're continuing on in Colossians chapter 2, and uh, we're picking up here in 15 through 23, talking about the fact that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law uh, for us in our place, and he didn't just fulfill it for us but he fulfills it in us as well and we've already talked about Jesus Christ is God he is Yahweh he is the one true God not only not only is he a God but he's the creator everything starts and stops with Jesus Christ and Christ is not just uh, another God that sits in the heaven and and kind of controls things from there or he's, it's not a deistic God that is separate from uh, his creation it's not that idea but Christ is, uh, he's interwoven, he has come down, he has become part of his creation in order to do a work among his uh, children, among those who would believe in him, among what the Bible calls the elect. And in the elect, those people of God who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes and dwells inside of them and the Holy Spirit joins them with him and they become his people, and they are given and endowed with the authority of Christ. They are made ambassadors of, uh, ambassadors of Christ, and he, he causes changes in them. He empowers them to be something that they were never able to be uh, in, in, uh, in their previous life. The Bible says it this way in Colossians, and we'll move on from here. It says that uh, he has made us alive uh, in Christ. We have been made alive we have been circumcised in Christ with the circumcision of the heart and through this circumcision and this baptism into Christ God made us alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses we looked at that last week and it says that he forgave us all our trespasses in verse 14 by canceling the record of debt get that canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands bottom line is is that we've broken God's law we've disobeyed God's law and in doing that we have uh, we have accrued a certain payment we have we have went into debt with God that the wages of sin is death and so therefore since we have sinned we have this reality of debt hanging over our heads it has uh, been against us it has been recorded so he has 
forgiven us our trespasses, not just by forgetting about them and setting them to the side, but dealing with the uh, record of debt that was accrued by these transgressions and by breaking the law. And he did that by not having to pay any debt himself. Jesus Christ never sinned. He never disobeyed. He never broke God's law. Therefore, he didn't have this debt against him. And so what he did was he gave his perfect life for ours, this fulfillment of the law, this perfect keeping of the law. He gave it for ours and he took our debt upon himself and he died when he shouldn't have so that we can live when we shouldn't have. So we get what he should have got and he gets what we should have got. It's the great exchange. Well, moving now from what Christ did and how he forgave us uh, with this removal of the debt. And we know that he removed the debt by uh, fulfilling the legal demands. It says this he has set aside, nailing it to the cross. So he didn't just set it to the side with no payment or just forget about it. But he set it to the side by nailing it to the cross. He paid the debt that we owed. Well, let's look at, at verse 15 now. And I want to look at uh, what happens after the law of God is fulfilled in the believer through Jesus Christ. So we've talked about this a little bit. We've talked about the power of God that goes into effect in the believer's life. The Holy Spirit comes in and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We become ambassadors of Christ. But I want to look at that a little bit further. And I want to also ask the question today, how do we relate now to the law? Okay. And some of you, may, that may be a foreign idea to you. Uh, some see the Old Testament law as needing to be kept. Some think it's just, you know, there for factual information. Some people just don't know what to think about the Old Testament law. What do we do with all of those 413 some odd laws uh, in the Old Testament, the Levitical laws, the ritualistic laws, the, all of these laws of cleansing and sacrifice? What do we do with all of that? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit today too. Uh, I want to look at what happens when we become a believer, and what does it mean for Jesus Christ to disarm the rulers and the authorities? So if you look at your sheet right there, I've entitled the uh, message, Shadows of Christ. It comes straight from the text. The scriptures say that the, uh, the, the new moons, the laws, the food and drink rituals, uh, the Sabbath laws, it says in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Now, we're going to break that down a little bit and unpack it. Um, but before we do, I want to pray once again and just ask God to take the sermon, take the word, and write it on our hearts. I can't do anything outside of him, and neither can you, whether it be speaking or hearing. So let's pray one more time. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would take your word, write it on our hearts, that you would get me out of the way. Lord, anything uh, that is good comes from you. And so, God, we pray that you would be on full display today and that we would rightly understand your word so that we could apply it to our lives and that you could write it on our hearts and that we would be uh, the better for it, God. Not that we would perform better, but that we would be able to love you more purely because we would uh, understand who you are in a more clear light and who we are uh, in light of you. I pray it all in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, I do want to read that first little paragraph there, just to kind of the big idea here. Uh, Paul has already established in the previous sections that Christ is the one true God. He has also made the argument that Christ is the fulfillment of the law, circumcision, in every way for the believer. He used the language of circumcision, if you remember last week, circumcision or the cross, baptism or the death of Christ, and being raised and the resurrection of Christ. He shifts in the last part of chapter 2 to point to the actual, uh, uh, actual day-to-day living or living day-to-day in the resurrection power of Christ and what this looks like in light of human precepts and teaching. So you're going to have people all the time trying to set rules on you, trying to tell you what you can do, what you can't do, uh, how you love God, how you make God love you. If you're not doing this, 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 and this, God doesn't love you, you know, all these different things. And so I want to talk about that a little bit, and I want to unpack these scriptures here. So let's look at the scripture one more time. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Well, 
Let's ask a couple of questions here so we can learn how this applies to us. So, so what is rulers and authorities? Okay, pretty plain, uh, pretty, pretty easy to understand. If you read the scripture, uh, rulers and author authorities, this phrase is used to describe the earthly governing bodies in the scripture. We see that in the gospel. So um, Pilate, the Roman Empire, uh, these are said to be rulers and authorities. But there's also another uh, realm where uh, rulers and authorities exist, and that's the heavenly realm. We see this phrase used to describe the heavenly realm as well. The, the heavenly realm as well. We see the language in Ephesians chapter six. You remember that chapter where it's the whole armor of God. So the the in Ephesians chapter six it says, "Put on the whole armor of God," and it starts to talk about the warfare that we need to engage in, and it goes on to say that our our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and principles of the air. It is against the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. So we need to understand that while we do interact with earthly rulers and authorities, we're going through some of that right now, right? Uh, the current administration uh, is completely whacked out evil. You can quote me on that. We're online. Uh, the ideology... Um, is just, it's evil, it's corrupt, it's, it's abased, it is horrible, and you will see the uh, absolute attack on Christianity. You're already seeing it in every way, shape, form, or fashion. I'm not saying that Donald Trump was Christ. I'm not even saying that I love Donald Trump. But I'm telling you, if you thought Trump was bad, this administration is wicked beyond measure, okay? My, but here's what I'm going to say about that, though. You've got my opinion. But what I'm going to say to you is that this current administration doesn't hold a candle to the rulers and the authorities and the principalities of the air. As a matter of fact, the rulers and authorities that are on this earth that we struggle against are only, uh, we're only struggling against them because they are backed and they are founded on the rulers and principalities and authorities of the air, of the heavenly realm. Does that make sense to you? So we need to ask the question, what does it mean when the text says that he, being God, has disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ? What, is this, what does it mean? And here's what I, I've, now that I could, man, I started studying this and it just gets so deep and so big and so thick because the word of God you need to understand is harmonious all the way through. So we look at from Genesis to Revelation, we see what God has been doing in, in and among his people through the generations. But here's a few things that I want to point out uh, as we move through. If you've got your uh, sheet with you, uh, look at Ephesians 6, 12. We talked about this just a minute ago. Uh, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, uh, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, as we interact with this, whether it be a, a city government, whether it be a school board, whether it be a, a county uh, office or a district office, whether it be a state legislation, whether it be uh, the federal government, the administration and the new president that we have, whether, whether, wherever, whatever entity you are dealing with, uh, these rulers and authorities, you need to understand that what we're really dealing with are those spiritual forces and, and spiritual powers in the other realm, in the heavenly realm, in the realm of the supernatural. And they are influencing these people. They are, uh, they are backing these people and pushing their agendas in order to destroy God in, its, in an attempt to destroy God and in an attempt to destroy God's people. But here's what I want to show you, okay? That Jesus Christ disarmed those rulers and authorities in the life of the believer. How? He did so by nailing the transgressions and the legal debt that was accrued by the believer by the breaking of the law, by nailing it to the cross and becoming an obedient uh, sacrifice in place of the laws. Now you say, how does that disarm the rulers and the authorities? And, and this is how. It disarms the rulers and the authorities because the rulers and the authorities have something over those who are lawbreakers, okay? It is that 
it has the legal ramifications to put you under a penalty because of the fact that you have broken the law. Not only that, but it also has the ability to use God's good law. Now, don't hear me saying in here that God's law is evil. It's not. God's law is wonderful. It's good. But the spiritual principalities use God's good law to devastate and destroy the people here on earth. Whether they are unbelievers, he does destroy them there. And he seeks to convince the believers that they should be destroyed and remove their testimony as well. Now, look at your notes here, and I'll kind of go through this and just break it down a little bit better. Okay. Look at uh, how exactly are the rulers and authorities disarmed. A second point down. The rulers and authority often use the law to bludgeon those under it for their inability to obey it. So, very simple. You're trying to live life. You're trying to do what needs to be done. And you, uh, you fail to do so. You, you want to obey God, but you have a weak moment and you can't. You know, you can't keep God's law or you fail, you sin, you disobey God's law. The rulers and the authorities, the enemy, Satan, uh, demons, I believe these things are real. They're not just ideas. They come and they accuse you. They use God's law against you. And they say, look, look at this guy. Look at this girl. Look at this woman. They, they say to you, you hear this in your mind. Some of you hear it daily. They whisper in your ear, you say, you're worthless. You, you call yourself a, look at you. Look at you. You, you, can't even, you can't even keep this, you can't even do this simple thing. Look at you. You haven't read your Bible in a week. Look at you. you, you, you look at that language you used last week. Look how you treated your children the other day. You're worthless. You might as well go back to the old life. So they use this to, to beat down the believer. They use this to overpower the believer and they use this in the life of, of unbelievers too even though the unbelievers do stand condemned because they haven't believed in Jesus Christ why because it's true they are under the penalty of the law and it just keeps accruing it just keeps adding up more and more and more and more and more and they will have to pay their own sin debt when they stand before God but against the believer this liar this enemy uses god's good law to say look at you you're terrible or on the flip side of that it's devastating to the believer oftentimes if he buys into the lies of the enemy in two ways one he's bludgeoned with it and he and he starts to believe the enemy's lies and so it's a downward spiral you don't feel like you're good enough to go to god so you don't go to god and it just continues downward some of you may be in that place or the other place that it produces great pride and arrogance in those who are convinced that they have obeyed the law. You see, this can be just as bad of a problem, if not worse. Well, it's, it's bad to say, oh, I can't be good enough. God must not love me. It may be even worse to say, yeah, I'm God's chosen <laughs> because I fill in the blank. I'll go to church. You, you know these people, right? And I'm not saying they're necessarily unbelievers, but I'm saying they've, they've got it wrong. Well, I go to church every time the doors are open, and I read the Bible every single day. What do you do? <laughs> you know? Uh, it, it's this sense of arrogance, this sense of pride, and, and pride is destructive. It goes before the fall, right? We understand this. The, the, the enemy is, is using this against us. But you see, Christ deals with both of these, these attacks by canceling the debt, by nailing it to the cross. The payment was literally nailed to the tree for all to see that it had been paid in full. The rulers and authorities no longer had any teeth to their bite when it came to believers. Believers are no longer lawbreakers because Christ fulfilled the law for them. And they are no longer obligated to keep the law for acceptance because Christ fulfills the law in them. Christ fulfills the law for believers and in believers. You say, what, what do you mean? Listen, the next time Satan whispers in your ear that you're no good, you're worthless, you're disobedient, God doesn't love you because you can't meet his standard, you whisper in his ear, Christ met the standard for me. Okay? On the other side of it, when Satan whispers in your ear, look at you. 
all these other believers ain't got nothing on you. You something else. And you look at him, you whisper in his ear, I have no righteousness of my own save that that Christ has placed in me. You see? Christ is the centerpiece. And by becoming the fulfillment of the law for you and in you, he's completely disarmed them. They have nothing. They can't beat you with the law, and they can't reward you with the law because Christ is your reward, and Christ was beaten. You see it? It's all about Christ, which moves us into this. And I've got tons of scripture there you can go and read. I do want to say this. Another way, now that's with the individual, but another way that Christ has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. So the scripture or the enemy is seeking to divide, okay? And the law does naturally divide. We know that the Old Testament law was given to mark a people out for um, for. For God's people to set them apart it was a it was a means of identifying who was God's people and who wasn't God's people so you'd know that you'd know by what they ate what they wore how they talked how they walked when they worked when they didn't I mean you would know it by who they were right you could look and and just observe them for 30 minutes you'd be like oh there's an Israelite oh there's a person of God you know up oh, there's there's one who worships Yahweh you would know it by the way that they went about life because it would mark them out. It would be very obvious who they were. Well, when this happened, when the Israelites were given the law and they obeyed the law in order to be set apart as God's people, what did it do? It created a dividing wall of hostility. And, and who, wouldn't, who wouldn't accept it in? Everybody else, right? No one. I mean, you could become a proselyte, a Gentile, and you could convert to Judaism, but you would have to obey the law, right? This is how you would know who God's people was. So th the law was given in order to set God's people apart from the rest of the world. It was literally a, div a dividing mechanism, right? You could tell who was who and who was not who. So this is another way that the enemy uses the law and still does this very day. That's, that's what he's doing when he whispers in your ear, Chad, oh, man, you, you're no good. You're terrible. He's looking to, to disunify. He's looking to divide. Why? Because you separate yourself out, and you know this is true. Like, if the enemy starts to whisper in your ear, you're no good. You can't keep anything. Then what do you do? You start to, one, uh, be in utter despair because you can't, you can't be good enough for God to love you. So it's like, what well, was me? God doesn't love me. And you start to despise your brother who you feel like is living in a way that's pleasing to God, right? How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? That when you're not in a good place, you're not walking with the Lord, and you know you're not walking with the Lord, and, and the enemy's whispered in your ear, and you've bought the lie that, God, I don't even know if God loves you anymore because you're, you're not even a Christian, right? And, and what happens is you start avoiding the people that you know love the Lord. Anybody? It's me, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I've avoided some of you, and I know you have avoided me, right? Uh, that's oftentimes how you know that somebody's struggling in their faith because you ain't seen them in quite a while, right? Uh, and, and the very side of you is uh, almost turns their stomach. Because why? Because the man who's walking with God, the woman who's walking with God, reminds them that they're not walking with God. Now, it shouldn't be that way. We should run to our brothers and sisters and say, I've gotten, I've gotten uh, out of touch with Christ. Can you pray for me? Can we seek the Lord together? Can you hold me accountable? I know it's not my works. It's, it's my relationship. Can you help me to remember this? But it doesn't always work that way. And I know that not because people just avoid me because they're in a bad place, but because I avoid some of you when I'm in a bad place. You know, that's just our nature. We have to crucify the flesh with Christ, and, and we have to come back, running back to the cross. Well, he put these rulers and authorities to open shame because this, the very thing that they were using to divide people, and they're still using today, he used that exact same thing to bring people into unity. Now, just so you don't think that I'm just using this, I want you to flip over with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to make a couple of connections here. Now, is Paul the same author? I'm going to, I'm going to look at uh, some stuff in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And uh, I think I'll go over to uh, Romans chapter 8 as well. Because, and then Ephesians chapter 6 too. Because what Paul's going to do is he's going to say, 
look, the rulers and authorities are trying to come at you to um, accomplish a certain work, and that is to divide people, okay, to divide um, believers, to, to do harm to unity, okay? So what Christ did was to bring unity through the atoning work that he did on the cross by fulfilling the law and being the sin debt paid in full, nailed to the tree for all to see, right? In that, the Bible is going to say here just a second, he tore down the dividing wall of hostility that stood between Jews and Gentiles, basically stood between God and the rest of the world, okay? So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. Now remember that Paul is talking to Gentiles in Colossae, okay? That's, that's very important. And he's addressing Gentiles who are being approached by Judaizers, some of them. And the Judaizers are saying, look, you can't be part of God's people unless you obey the law. And part of what Paul's message is in, Col in Colossians is that Keeping the law does not secure relationship with God, that Christ secures relationship with God, who is the fulfillment of the law, okay? So Christ, uh, Paul's going to say in Ephesians 2.11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, remember what we talked about about circumcision, by what is called the circumcision, the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see this unifying. For he himself is our peace, who has made, uh, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, I could go on in that, but you see this, this trend that, that Christ in his body broke down the dividing wall of hostility that, that separated God's people, the Jews, from the rest of the world, the Gentiles. Now, we could all just say, well, Jesus saves because he's loving. And, and that's fine, but the mechanics of how it works is, is that God is sovereign. He's perfect. He's holy. And when you break the law, when you sin against God, when you transgress against God, there is a penalty that is accredited to your account because God have, can have no relationship with sin. He has to justly punish sin. He cannot have sin as a part of his being. Therefore, if you are a sinner and you are in your sin, if you are a lawbreaker, and you are in your lawbreaking, you cannot have fellowship with God. Relationship with God is dependent on perfection. It, the law must be perfectly kept. There can be no hint of sin. You must be sinless. You say, well, that's impossible. Of course it is. Which is why Jesus Christ came to be the only one that fulfilled the law. He is true Israel. He is the seed of Abraham. He fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant by which God promised that he would make Abraham into a blessed and wonderful nation. Without Christ, that covenant does not come true. That promise is not fulfilled because the promise was that if you love me, if you set your mind on me and you obey me and keep my commandments, I will be your God and you will be my people. That promise is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, that work that Jesus Christ did on the cross is imputed to you. It is credited, it is debited to your account upon faith. It's the same exact way that the Old Testament saints were, were saved because Abraham had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham looked forward to the finished work that Christ would do on the cross and the payment that he would make. He basically was saved on a Jesus credit card. It was the work that Christ would do and pay his debt off later. That's how Moses, Jacob, Abraham, and anyone else that was saved 
That's how it worked. But we, post-cross, we are debited in Christ. Okay, He's already paid it. It's already in the account. He's already paid the, the cost in full, keeping the law and paying the debt that was owed. And so we pull from the funds that's already in the account. Either way, Jesus Christ is the one that fulfills the law and is a payment for us to come into relationship with him. So that Now, okay, so there's so much here. I just want to touch on this and we're going to move. So what, what about the law now? What about the Old Testament law now? Now, some of you could care less about the Old Testament law, and I don't think that's a good thing. But some of you look to the Old Testament law as if it could secure favor with God and want to keep it, and, and I'm, I'm not, that's not a good thing either. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, it says that uh, he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And some would say, well, that's not quite happened yet. It has happened yet. Um, I want to point out here, because you might look at this word right here, and you go, well, hold on a second. Look at verse 14 in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility uh, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, Jesus Christ has not abolished the law in that he has made the law uh, imperfect or uh, that it is um, awful or that it is not um, th that it is not related to the believer at all that's not what's happened I want you to look now at um, look at look at number one on your hand I want to talk about what Jesus Christ did when he fulfilled the law and how we should think about it now so the law look at a the law is completely fulfilled in Christ and is now obsolete Okay, so Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law in such a way that it is obsolete. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. I need to move on in this because I want to I touch on a few other things. But I wanna, I wanna, this will be one of the last things I want to talk, and I'll just let you go back and, and look at some of this. Hebrews chapter 8 says this, starting in verse, let's look at verse 5. It, it uses the same exact language. Verse 5 in chapter 8, they serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses, and he's talking about these laws and the way that the sacrifices were made and all these rituals. They serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. So we're moving from old covenant to new covenant since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now I want to move Move down to verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So let's put a cap on that. So as we read the Old Testament text, and as we look at the Old Covenant, and as we study the Old Covenant, all of these laws... What we've come to understand is my understanding of it. Now, there are different positions on this, and, and that's fine. We're going to talk about uh, having different positions and, and how that should look between believers. But my position is, is that the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the Levitical law, the Mosaic law is now obsolete in the life of the believer as, as a thing as a group of commands as an entity that would mark out a person and solidify the relationship with God okay now I'm not saying that the law is useless I'm not saying that the law should be forgotten about or that we shouldn't study the law Many think that they should observe certain laws or they should observe the Sabbath they should observe new moons and they should observe festivals and I say, Praise God, that's perfectly fine. Do that if you would like, as long as you don't think that they secure relationship or favor with God. Christ alone is the way in which we secure relationship with God the Father. If you want to keep a law, if you love the Lord and you read the Bible and you say, well, I don't want to eat meat or I don't want to drink 
this drink or I want to celebrate on this day and this day alone, that's fine, but don't use that as the measuring stick by which you know that you have come to know God because we understand that in Christ we have come to know God and that is the measure by which we should measure ourselves and as we should judge one another. You say we shouldn't judge one another. Yes, we should. Let's continue on in our text in Colossians. It says, therefore, right after I say we should judge one another, how about this? Verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. <laughs> but let's finish the sentence as so many can't stand doing. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. You know, Paul, it's funny that uh, everybody says, no, you know, only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. And Paul goes on to say in many different ways is that what, what, you know, business do we have judging the world? Let the world judge the world. They're already condemned. But obviously, we should judge one another but that we should judge with the right motives. And when we ask questions and when we make judgments, it should be with the right standards. It should be according to the right principles and not according to the wrong principles. Jesus says, if your brother has a splinter in his eye, make sure you remove the plank from your own eye before so that you can see rightly to remove then the speck from his eye. He doesn't say stop talking about the speck in your brother's eye. You know, if you leave a speck in your eye, it can become infected and you can lose your sight. If I see a speck in my brother's eye, is it loving or unloving for me to say, oh, it's just a speck? No, that's unloving. He might go blind. I need to say, bro, you got a speck in your eye. <laughs> but what happens if I got a log hanging out of my eye and I look over to my brother to tell him about his speck Bam! I done knocked him out with a log in my eye. No, Jesus says, look, take care of your log. Get your heart right. Get your mind right. Make sure that you're coming with correct motives. Get your own log out. And then go in love, in peace, in desire for, to edify and build up and say, hey, man, you got a speck in your eye. I'll help you get it out because I love you. You see? So, okay, but here it says... Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, to harmonize the text here, Paul is not saying, he can't be saying here, don't ever judge anybody. As a matter of fact, people can say only God can judge me if they're unbelievers. That's what's all, if you're a believer, never say that. Because the only one in, in the Bible that says only God can judge them is the unbeliever. They can say that because Paul says what? Because they're not, they've not submitted themselves to God's law. They've not submitted. And you, still, you are under the law. You need to understand that. But we've been removed from the, law, the Mosaic law, and we've been, we're under the law of Christ now. And it's not less. It's more. Jesus says, you've seen it written, thou, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say, if you even look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. You know, the law of Moses is written on stone tablets. You can read it. That's not that big of a deal. The law of Christ goes all the way down to the heart. As a matter of fact, it's impossible to fulfill it without the love of Jesus Christ dwelling in you. It's more. It's not less. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Okay, so what does this mean? What does this mean? It means that don't let anybody come up to you and judge you according to a standard that you've never set yourself uh, to, to follow. If someone comes, you say, well, you're not doing this, 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 and this. According to the law of Moses, you say, well, I don't serve Moses. I serve Christ. Christ has completely fulfilled the law of Moses. He did that work. And in him, that law is fulfilled in me completely. I serve Christ. Now, there's the law. Okay, so here's where people really have a hard time distinguishing. Is that the law of Moses is fulfilled in Christ in the work that he did, in the life that he lived, practically living it out. But the principles of the law, everything that the law stood for, is fulfilled in you through Christ. Does that make sense? Everything that the law was for, 
ultimately is fulfilled in those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ as he dwells in them and causes them to obey God's statutes and to walk in God's ways. So the bottom line is, is that don't let someone judge you according to a standard that you are not submitted to anymore. That law is obsolete. It, it's no good in causing one to have favor with God. Okay? Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I want you to look over with me at Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, he uses very similar language, but he goes more in depth uh, in this, this whole breakdown here. He says, let's start in verse uh, 13. No, let's start back in verse 5. I want to show you this. Okay, so talking about one day being better than the next day and regulations, food regulations, and uh, the appointed times and things like that. Look at verse 5 in, in Romans 14. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Sound familiar? Some think that you should only worship on Saturday because that's the actual Sabbath. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, Protestants, generally speaking, worship on Sunday. Why? Because Sunday is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's the day of new beginnings. Okay? Uh, a lot of Protestants believe that Jesus Christ is the, the Sabbath rest that we long for. And now all days are considered Sabbath, okay? But let's go on here. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. He goes on later on to say in uh, verse 23, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith, it is a sin. This is the idea of Christian conscience. Okay? Christian conscience. As you read Scripture and as you read the Old Testament, if the Lord presses on your heart that you need to keep this command or that command, and you love the Lord and so you want to do that, and, and you honor Him in that way, praise God. That's fine. There's no problem with that whatsoever. You can rightfully honor the Lord that way. But what happens is, is when you try to press that command onto someone else as if they needed to worship the Lord that way, or that they needed to abide by those things. Now, Again, don't get me wrong. We know there's black and white concepts in the Scripture that uh, are very easily seen and, and very easily understood. And, and the sins that are sins are just sins, okay? And anybody committing those sins would be um, defying God and, and um, uh, you know, whether it be lying or cheating or uh, murder or whatever it is. We're not saying that you can do whatever you want to do now. Because everybody knows that's not the case. If Christ dwells in you, the, the, the bottom line is, is that you don't have to be told to do that anymore. It flows out of who you are and who Christ is in you. That's what we mean when we say Christ not only fulfilled the law for us, he fulfills the law in us. That as we are conformed to the image of the Son, that we start to obey the laws of God anyway. And you say, well, what about those crazy laws about eating pork and, and uh, not you know, wearing clothes with, with two types of thread in them? And yeah, all these are laws. And there's a lot weirder ones than that. Well, you're still a fulfillment of those laws. You say, well, I like me some bacon. Well, if I had time, I would, I would open up the scriptures and we could look at some of that. But here's what I would say. You still fulfill the law about not eating bacon. You still fulfill the law, the principle of the law, about not wearing garments that are made of two types of thread. How? 
is because all of those laws, as it said here in the text, in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What does that mean? Well, okay, so this light right here is causing a shadow to fall on the ground, and that's my shadow. Now, you can look at that shadow, and you can get some ideas about what I look like. You can get some ideas about my body size, at least, possibly, about my round shape, which I've been trying to work on. You can get some ideas about me, right? You can look at it and you can go, oh, well, looks like a guy. Looks like he might be this tall. Looks like he needs to lose a little weight. Looks like whatever, right? You can get some ideas. You can, you can tell a general idea of, of who I am, right? But if you were trying to describe me to someone, okay, and you were trying to uh, get to know me or you were trying to uh, maybe draw a picture, why would you continue to look at the shadow to draw your picture if I'm like, hey, I'm right here, right? We, it, you know, the shadow. So, but now, if, I, if you couldn't see me, right, and all you could see was the shadow, and you had to, to, to do the best you could, what would you do? You look at the shadow, and you, you do the best you can. You draw a sketch, an outline, like, uh, yeah. But when... The curtain falls, and you can see me, or you can see the thing that you're trying to describe, or you're trying to, to draw, then you no longer look at the shadow, you look at the thing. And that's what it's saying here. So let's take the, the uh, so there's a law in the Old Testament. It's really a good example because it says you shouldn't wear a garment that's made of two types of fabric. So I bet almost every single individual in the room is breaking the law right now. Because your garment's probably 50-50 or 60-30 or some of you might be 100% cotton, you know. I mean 60-40, 70-30, whatever. But what was that about? It was that we shouldn't be joined together with the things of the world. You've got to be pure. It's about purity. What about eating pork? Well, pigs and other animals were, were considered unclean. And if you ate those things, you were impure, you were unclean. But Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 7 and in several other texts that it's not about what goes into a person that makes them unclean. It's about what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, yeah, be careful what you put into you. But not eating pork was, and, I, and I'm not huge on bacon, but I like me some good pork chops. But not eating pork you know, was pointing to, to a greater reality, and that is what? Be careful what you put inside of yourself because you need to remain pure. What does Jesus say? I'm the bread of life. I'm the fountain of living water. Be careful what you drink. Be careful what you put into your body because you don't want to make yourself impure. Be careful what you take into your person because you don't want to make yourself impure. We need to be careful, don't we? In Jesus Christ, we are filled up full of him and he purifies us we're sprinkled with clean water that jesus blood purifies us from all transgressions and all sins well let's look back over at colossians it says these are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to christ let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism okay so this this i thought was very interesting because many of us we don't have that, we don't usually have that issue, especially not with the Old Testament laws. Now, the problem is, is that people are people, and what they'll do uh, is they'll substitute one law for another law. So you might say, well, I don't have that problem. I love pork, <laughs> you know. I don't, I don't feel the need to obey, the, I, don't need to, I don't feel the need to never eat bacon again so that I can, you know, make sure that God loves me. I don't have that problem. But, you, yeah, maybe not, but, I mean, just think about, your own life and you'll see that you've 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 stacked up your own regulations you know the enemies can convinced you of your own contextual laws that he uses to bludgeon you all the time right what do they look like and remember the law is good the law is great as a matter of fact the law is perfect it wasn't the law that was the problem it was the weakness of our flesh it was the weakness of their flesh we know that from Romans chapter 8 the law is good it was, the, it was the, their inability to keep it. And the fact that it drew out of them sin. It, it, it caused sin. Why? Because of the weakness of their flesh. Right? It's the, old, it's the old red button syndrome. Don't push the red button. 
i got to push the red button now, right? It just draws it out of for some reason. But you, you do this to yourself. Like, you know, nowadays, especially in churchy culture, right, Christianese, you're like, have you had your quiet time today? No. You know? And, and, and quiet times are great. I'm not saying that they're not. You know, did you go to, did you go to church? Oh, church had a meeting. You didn't go. God doesn't love you anymore. Right? You didn't read your Bible today. Now, listen, I, I, I think you should read your Bible every day. But if you're doing it out of obligation so that God doesn't hate you, you got, you're doing the wrong thing. I mean, it's no good for that, right? As a matter of fact, if you're, think about it this way. If you're reading your Bible so that God won't love you, then the reverse of that is, is that you're reading your Bible to strong-arm God into loving you. I'm just pointing it out. We don't read God's Word so that we can get him in a headlock and be like, you better bless me, you know? No, we read God's Word because we love him. It flows out of sonship, right? I mean, that's a funny image because you know he would whip you anyway, <laughs> right? Um, listen, I, I love it when my, my boys and, and uh, Ellery, I love it when my kids obey. But I love it when they obey because they love me, right? Now, they can, you know, obey out of fear I guess or something like that but at the end of the day they know I love them whether they do you know they're pick up the living room or whatever we had a spat last night because I'll, they go to bed and I go into the living room and there's just junk everywhere and I'm like what in the world so Z goes back in and he cleans it up not because he loves me though but because I was going to take Fortnite for a week right <laughs> thanks a lot son But if I was to ever think that my kids didn't think that I loved them because they wouldn't, you know, living just right, I would that, uh, just, you know, as quick as I could, I'd be like, listen, I, I love you regardless. You know, you should, you, they should do what they do because they love me and they love their mom and they respect us and they know what we do for them and how we sacrifice for them and what we would do for them. We would die for them, right? Not, you know, this is my sons, my daughter. They don't do that in order to strong arm me into loving them. I love them anyway. Well, he goes on to say here, he says, oh, I got lost track there for a second. I love this because, okay, so now, do you see the law that the enemy tries to use to bludgeon you with? It may not be the Old Testament law. You know, I, I doubt many of you are reading all the Old Testament laws going, man, this shirt. <laughs> but you, you, are, you are placing, you are allowing the enemy to, to press you down and beat you down with laws that you've kind of made up in your own head, right? And, and the Bible here describes them as human precepts and teachings. Like, you know, they're, they're just, we kind of formulate, they're, some are spoken, some are not spoken. Well, that's one side of it. But the other side of it that he addresses here is this uh, sensuous mind and this emotional fanaticism. This is the other side of it, okay? So one is this real reserved, I'm not going to make sure that I do everything right, because God, he's, he, you know, he's not going to love me if I don't do everything just right. And then the other side is this, is that unless I have these great, huge, powerful, momentous uh, occasions where the third, you know, the, the heavens open and I'm called up to the third realm and, and I see Jesus and he speaks to me and gives me visions, then I'm not really experiencing God. Look at the text. I hadn't even really noticed this uh, previously. I mean, I just kind of glossed over it until I started really studying this. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up uh, without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together uh, through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. See, I mean, th this is a part of the church, too. Just think about the church and how practical this is today. You might be, you know, listening to me and, and reading this and going, I don't really know how that applies today. But this, this, exact, this exact stencil is in the church today. You have the churches that are super legalistic, and they say, unless you do this, 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 then God doesn't love you. You don't have a place in his kingdom. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got, the churches that say, well, unless you speak in tongues, unless you have great experiences where there's gold dust falling from the vents and the ceiling, then you've not experienced God, right? 
I'm not making that up. That's literally true, right? But what this is saying is that, look, it's not about how you perform, and it's not about how emotional you can get. It's not about how you can perform or about how you feel. It's about Christ and who he is and what he's done. So, okay, so the truth is, is that we all mess up and we never, none of us ever obey completely like we should. Is that right? And the truth is, is that some of us just don't feel like Christians or much like worshiping God at all sometimes, right? Well, is it true that when you have uh, had a lapse in judgment and you've fallen prey to some temptation or sin that you're no longer a believer? Well, that's not true. Not if you're a true believer and the Spirit of God dwells in you. Because you didn't secure a relationship with God because of your works, you don't lose a relationship with God because of your works. Well, is it true that uh, when we have these, and there are great spiritual times of wonder and amazement and awe, and, and you may speak in tongues. I believe that the gifts continue on, you know. You may have a vision. I, I don't see why God couldn't do that if he wanted to, right? You may be called up to the 18th heaven. I don't know. But is that required to say, I have a relationship with God, right? I don't think so. When you don't feel like a Christian and you're in the dumps, and you're depressed, which I agree that all believers just be, should be overjoyed, but sometimes we have to be overjoyed in the deepest, darkest times on earth, don't we? When you don't feel like a Christian anymore, well, has your Christianity changed if you were truly born again in the Lord Jesus Christ? No. Is your Christianity based on your feelings? No. He says that it's Christ. He says that uh, let no one disqualify, for you, uh, disqualify you for this. In Romans chapter 8, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And I'm going to go ahead and, and close down right there. We'll finish up some of this next week but this is what i want to point out because and this is why i want to end right here because this is what i want to point out is that some of you in here have really been beat down and i think on both ends of this spectrum i know i have before one end of the spectrum it's that you you don't do things exactly like you think that you should and so you can't live in in continual joy you can't live in joy even in the midst of pain even in the midst of trial because you think that god doesn't love you because of these mistakes that you've made when the fact is is that jesus christ is the perfection that's required for you to have a relationship with god if relationship with god is based on how well you can perform then nobody can have a relationship with god it's just that simple nobody can but if you're found in christ then you answer that enemy with Christ is the fulfillment of the law for me. And if the truth of the matter is that you may be looking down on other people because you think that you're doing all the right things, whether it be regular church attendance, reading your Bible, studying, praying, meditating, if, if that's causing you to look down on people because they're not as, as astute as a Christian as you are, then you need to repent of that too. And you need to be told that it's Christ in you as the hope of glory. We have no righteousness of our own. And then on the other end of that, I want to give you this encouragement too. This may be more relevant right now in, in our place, in our context. I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking that way. But if you've been born again and you have given your life to Christ and you've sought Him and you've confessed your faith in him you've confessed him as lord and savior right and you've cried out to him you believe that god raised him from the dead you know that there's no hope from you outside of christ and you've just you've pressed into him but maybe there was a momentary sense of joy or something like that and maybe since then or, or maybe even recently or maybe it's been a while and you just haven't been able to feel the lord you haven't had great big experiences. You haven't felt the holy goosebumps in a while. You haven't, you know, been called up to the third heavens or had a vision or had these great experiences. You haven't really felt the Lord. Now, I want to encourage you today that 
your relationship with God is not dependent on your feelings. Sometimes it's just, it's like, where are you, Lord? And sometimes I'm convinced that the Bible teaches that God will pull back a little bit to let you see where you are, to give you an appreciation. You know, uh, sometimes we'll be, when my kids was a little smaller, you know, we might be in a, a store or something, they get to wandering off. You know what I do? I hide. Or we might be out in the woods and, you know, I, I, they get to wandering off and I hide. I actually heard, what reminded me of this is I heard Paul Washer in a sermon the other day using this illustration. And I thought, I've done that before. Well, you know what happens when you hide in a grocery store behind something and your kids have wandered off a little bit and they can't see you no more? <laughs> they start running around trying to find you. What happens when they find you? Oh, no, I'll never leave you again. Well, you know, listen, brother, sister, and it may be, maybe you're not saying, I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe you've never truly been born again. That's something you've got to work out with God. But, but a lot of us, we're born again. We love God, and we just can't see God. But could it be maybe that God has just kind of stepped back for a second because you started wandering off? And he's just longing for that time when you turn. You remember the prodigal son? He never stopped being the guy's son. But... He lost sight, the son lost sight of who his dad was, and his dad wasn't enough anymore. He just wanted his dad's stuff, and so his dad's like, all right, son. And the son grabbed up all the stuff and took off and lived a life of sensuality and, and all these different things, and he found himself in the pit, right? And the son, here, this is you, if, you, if you're missing it, the son found himself in the pit, wandered off, couldn't even see the father anymore. But he never stopped being a son. But he started making a list of all the ways that he was going to convince his father to let him come back. You know what, you know what those consisted of? Requirements that he would meet in order to gain the father's relationship. He started to say, oh man, my, my father's servants has it better than I do. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. I'll go back as one of his servants because being a servant of my father would be better than laying here, eating the pods of the pigs that could wrestle away from the pigs, right? Even that would be better. So he starts making out this list. Okay, God. Okay, Dad. This is what I'll do if you'll let me come back home. You see the employee-employer model. He wanted to become an employee. I'll work as a hired hand. And the wages will be relationship with you. I'll earn it. I got good news for you. He got up and I guess he drug himself out of the pigsty and he started on his way back. And I can see him now as he marched along the road. He's rehearsing his speech. I'll make sure to do double duty during the day if you'll just love me, Dad, or let me come back. I'll, I'll, I won't even come in the house and sleep. I'll, I'll sleep outside with the rest of the servants. I'll be the best employee you've ever had. And you know what the text says? The text says that daddy looked up as he was still a long way out and he took off running. Now, to get the full picture, in that day it would have been very shameful for a man to do that. He girded up as long as he got himself together and he took off running. And you know, I think this, this is lost in this story a lot of the times. But you know what we never hear about again? The list of requirements that the son was going to meet to have a relationship with his father. I just picture in my mind, I guess I just picture it this way, that the son, I bet he didn't know what to think when he saw his daddy running down the road. He's like, what's this joker doing? He's going, what's he going to tackle me? What is he going to do? He don't want me here? And so as his daddy's approaching, I can just kind of picture him. He's like holding out his list. He's like, look, I'm not, I don't expect you to forgive me. I, I'll work it off. I'll work it off. And all I can see is, now this is just my mind, but his daddy just wiping that thing out of the way and just grabbing his son up. My boy's home. My boy's home. What does he do? He didn't even look at the list. Because 
meeting a set of requirements isn't required for relationship with God. That's been done in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. So if that's you and you're a million miles away and you've not been feeling like it, well, just remember the prodigal son, I'm sure, didn't feel like that he was a son when he was in the pigsty, right? And he had blown his daddy's inheritance. But boy, when he got home, his daddy slaughtered the fattened calf. He took his ring off his finger. He stuck it on his finger, which was proof that he was a child. That's my son. He's got the family ring on. This is my boy. He got the robe. He, he threw the robe around him. He said, my son, he said, he called to everybody, all the servants said, go, go, kill the fattened calf. Get the thing, man. Fire up the grill. Let's get it together. My boy is home. My boy is home. Tell everybody, right? You ain't got to stay outside no more. And I know some of y'all have been putting together that list. I know you have. In your mind, on paper, you might have actually written some of it out. There's nothing you have to do to make God love you. He did it all. He did it all. And he done run out to meet you. Knocked that old piece of paper out of your hand and grabbed you up. I'm so glad you're home. So... This morning as we stand to our feet and as we respond, it's not about you keeping the law. It's not about how you feel. It's about what Jesus Christ has already done to seal the deal. The Holy Spirit has filled you full, and now you can rest in Him knowing it's done. Nothing else needs to happen. Christ is all. Everything else is a shadow. The substance is the Lord Jesus Christ. What have you done with Christ today? Some of you may not be believers in here, and some of you may, you may need to, to give your life to Christ, to confess Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe God's been working on you. I'll be up here if you'd like to do that. But whatever you do, do business with God today. Maybe you're in a good place right now. Praise God for that, okay? Praise God for that. Let's worship Him.